0: This is our last santanatham, our last uh, question and answer session. So uh, perhaps uh, those who haven't asked any questions already, this is a good opportunity to be brave. And, uh, if you are uh, being shy, and uh, there's this one there, the on the chair at the back. Is on the bottom. Yes. Hello. Um I have
1: a thank you. Um, I have a question about um, uh, non attachment. Uh, you
0: about what? Non
1: attachment. Non-attachment. Yes. Okay. You wrote in one of your booklets about um, middle way and how Lumpur Cha always managed to find a blend of um, non-attachment and thoughtfulness and kindness. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts about how to uh, practice (coughs) letting go and non-attachment without losing uh, the compassion and thoughtfulness?
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, Lumpur Cha used to talk about... um, uh non-attachment in terms of um so he would say it's about learning how to hold. oftentimes people misunderstand non-attachment. He said sometimes people think to be non to have non-attachment is you have to throw everything away, like you you uh have no possessions or no ideas or no uh, initiative or no action. But he said, you know it uh if I want to use this striker for the bell you know i can pick it up and i can hold it and then i use it and then when i don't need it anymore i can put it down there's no harm in in uh picking things up and uh and using them so that is a a kind of an example he would use all the time or he'd pick up a, a glass and say you know that to drink the water you need to hold but if you cling to it then you cause problem or you break the glass and you hurt yourself or you can 't use your hand for anything else because you 're holding the glass all the time, so to to cling is is going to be destructive, but to learn how to hold when you need to and then put things down when you need to that 's the essence of of skill, and so that uh with uh, compassionate action and um, caring for others, uh, a lot of it revolves around that the the reflections I was giving the other day about the different kinds of love, uh, possessive love and liberative love. You know, when, if you are trying to be compassionate, but then it's like, it's my job to make you happy. You're suffering, and and I should be able to help you. I can't help you, therefore, your suffering is my fault. If You can follow that. <laughs> this is a familiar kind of uh, experience for good-hearted people, and... Um, sometimes what someone will even someone will even even tell you um, i'm suffering and it's your fault you should be able to help me and you can't therefore my suffering is your problem often family members <laughs> but, uh, you know you, it's your job to make me happy i'm not happy therefore you're failing at your job so um it's uh developing that kind of attitude whereby there's a um uh metta and karuna loving kindness and compassion but without that sticky element without that sense of self-view or going along with the projections that other people put onto you or without the the um projections that you habitually create about others so it's a it's a lot to to do with um the the um, insight into self-view and uh learning to, to work from a, a place of, of mindfulness and wisdom, like an attunement to, to nature rather than coming from what I should do, how I should be, what a good Buddhist should be doing, a kind of theoretical or ideal uh, perspective. So uh, again, it's, it's a lot to do with having a Dhamma-centered perspective or a nature-centered perspective rather than a self-centered one. Joan Conrad, do you have any thoughts? Is this loud enough by the way? It seems to be quite quiet. You can raise the sound a bit. Is that better? Yeah.
2: Okay. Anyone? want to. Go. When people are out of the way, people will realize that the out of the way is like to open the บางทีก็ใช้ความปล่อยวางๆละเอียดมากอาจารย์ก็เคยสมัยเป็นเด็กอ่านหนังสือๆแหละคงไม่โอ้ขนาด หลงพชา. คือดูแล้วงาน non attachment เคยไป non attachment คือในฐานะที่บวชมานานก็ถามถาม Yangjib So the uh, um, that
0: uh, simple principle of holding but not clinging that's kind of the, the whole the, the core of it. <laughs> and uh so in terms of our action then uh, i i used to be very obsessed with what people thought of me and wanting to be approved wanting to be liked all the time so i was worried all the time <laughs> about not being approved or not doing things right or wanting people to be happy with what i was doing so uh, i uh, it took me a long time i was already a monk for maybe six or seven years before i realized i did this kind of all the time and so i had to work on that feeling of anxiety and wanting to please people uh, all the time and feeling bad if i didn't please people so uh i i made that a feature of the uh, meditation and uh and so i had this little mantra i would say to myself a little kind of subazit, that kind of saying i would say to myself which was just do what you do and let the world make of it what it will and when i first had that thought the feeling in my heart was no 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 don't, don't even think that yes you know, it's, it's like that's, that's dangerous, huh? and you could see it, it hit the sore spot that, oh that must be right on the mark <laughs> because the the habit was uh, i couldn't let go of what the world thought that, that was the most important thing. But uh, I could see that was uh, an area of attachment or confusion. So I, I worked at that for two or three years. And I just used that. Just do what you do and let the world make of it what it will. And it helped me to relax a lot. And also uh, to be a bit less obsessive. And during that time, one of my brother monks at Amaravati, not Ajahn Congrat, someone else, <laughs> he, uh, he made the comment, Said, you know, you're a lot easier to live with since you stopped trying to be perfect. So I didn't know whether to be insulted or uh, or pleased. <laughs> it was a very helpful comment because me trying to please everyone all the time, you know, it makes me nervous, makes other people nervous. Everyone is uh, is kind of tensed by that attitude if you put that out into the world. And also, what you think is going to be pleasing or good for others, it might just be annoying. Or it's that bloody Amaro, he's so good at everything, it's really annoying. <laughs> and that, that's what you find, is that uh, sometimes trying to be helpful is and uh, not sort of being true to yourself, true to your own uh, reality. Uh, your, your effort to be good and to be kind and to be helpful is just, puts things out of balance. Any other questions? You had one before, so... T- no, 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 no. Someone, someone who hasn't asked a question. Yeah, this lady with the glasses. So I'm being strict today. Yeah,
1: please. Um, I have a group of friends who, um, that I've been trying to convince them to learn more about Tama <laughs> and practice more Hamma, but... Um, I didn't succeed, maybe my reasons were too extreme um, or boring, um, um, they, they are a group of good people, um, kind-heart, kind-hearted, selfless, moral, but they are just having maybe a little too much fun with their lives. Um, too and, much fun? Yes. <laughs> and. Enjoying a little too much fun, um, a, a little too much worldly happiness. Um, one of my friends, for example, she, she has had a few restaurants and bars. So A few what? Restaurants and bars. Uh-huh. restaurants and bars. So, okay. yeah. of course, selling meat <laughs> and alcoholic drinks. But on the personal level, she's a very good person. She's selfless. Um, everyone comes to her for help problems. Everyone thinks she's a good person and she believes she's not a bad person. And I cannot disagree with her on that. But um, my question is, um, these two conflicting qualities, being a good person but not necessarily a good Buddhist, um, can can you please ca- clarify on that? Is is that a bad thing? And if it is, how can I help? Them. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, very, very good question. This, this is not an uncommon situation. Um, yeah, that uh, in a way, the, the if we try to persuade our friends, if we're kind of enthusiastic, then and we've got a kind of light in our eyes, then the friends can be like more, uh, more close to you. Um, oh dear, she's got it bad. Yeah she'll get over it, you know, Um, and so uh, often the the way to um, convince people is rather than trying to explain Buddhism, is to just be a good Buddhist yourself. And so when people because people learn by example, children, uh, as well as adults, maybe children more than adults, but uh, we learn by example. So if people see when they see you, and they realize that, um, when you get insulted, uh, you don't get upset. You kind of—it's uh, uh, something that you're you're comfortable with. Or, or when you get praised, you don't get carried away with it. You know, you win a big prize and you don't get inflated, or um, somebody compliments you yeah? uh, and uh, and you uh, you just receive it but don't make a big deal out of it. Then that, that affects people. They oh that's interesting. She's really. Kind of cheerful and natural, but even-minded. Uh, if if they see that I'm, I'm not reading your mind or anything, it's just you know the kind of average events that we have in our life. That these kind of examples, people see. Wow, she's she's really kind of helpful and unselfish and and uh, even-minded. That's and they want to draw close. They want they want to, to be near because of those good qualities. Uh, when i when I first came back from Thailand, you know, I was very young and very enthusiastic, so whenever I was with my family i'd any opportunity I'd try to explain Buddhism or you know, tell them how great it was and why I was doing this and and they would have that same sort of and so uh, after a couple of years of that, uh, I realized this I'm being foolish, so I went in the opposite direction, so even when they asked about Buddhism, I would say, "Oh well, you're not really interested or well, you know." If you you know you, uh, if you really want to know, I can let you have a book. But you know it's all right. Don't worry about it. And uh, and so instead, what I did was I was a good Buddhist. So when I was staying with them, I would always do the washing up, which I never did when I was a kid. Yeah, you know, I had an incredibly generous mother. We did all the cooking and all the washing up and looked after all the animals as well. So. Uh, so I would do the washing up, even when it was their supper in the evening. They would eat in the evening. I would I would wash their pots and pans in the evening while they were eating. So that got their interest. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> He's doing all the washing up for us. He didn't even eat. He's doing the dishes for us. Uh, or um, just keeping my room tidy. And my sisters, who are these sort of uh, uh, professional women uh, with their own careers and their uh, you know, very competent, uh, very um, uh, kind of good, good people. But particularly my elder sister, who is a kind of um, uh, a, um, a diplomat and worked for the, uh, she's a Russian speaker and worked for the British government in, she's a Kremlinologist and uh, uh, worked for the government in various departments in high ranking roles. Yeah, her room was always a disaster. She was a, a complete mess. And uh, and there's this kind of chaos around her, and so here's my my highly qualified, super intelligent sister, with this with this big name government job, and her room is a total mess, and the chaos is uh, all around her, <laughs> and here I am, the Buddhist monk, who's this kind of religious weirdo, but my room is always tidy, <laughs> and. And so then uh, whenever the family would want to have an outing or go somewhere, i say, well, wherever, I'm happy to go wherever you want to go. Whereas my sisters would say, I want to go here, I want to go, I don't want to go there. We went there last time. So just the fact you're easy, you don't get into arguments, you're helpful, you, you look out for others, you're kind of being uh, attentive to what people need. Then even though you're saying, I'm being a Buddhist, watch this. You know, <laughs> Just in your own natural way, you you carry on like that. Then after a time, I said, well, I don't know about Buddhism, but he's a lot easier to live with than he used to be. <laughs> he's, a, he's a kind, helpful person. So those, those kind of uh, unspoken signals get through. And then in terms of, of people wanting to change their habits, like your friend who's got a bar or bars and restaurants and such like, I think it's it, it's up to their their, the flow of their life and the events that they experience. You know, when things happen that they don't know how to deal with it, someone dies you know, in their family, or, or they, they have a, someone working in the restaurant you know, ha, has an accident, or, or um, then it's like someone that they know, they care about, and so suddenly, they, they're gone. And they don't know what to do with that feeling of loss. Or maybe they're, you know, if they're responsible, like they should have taken more care. There's you know, a gas explosion or something in the kitchen, and, and so then, then it's often it's a crisis where they have no refuge, That then they'll go to you <laughs> because you're not panicking in the crisis, that even though it's terrible and difficult, yet somehow there's some stability there. So they say, you know, in my own family, it's usually when there's a death or a crisis, that then there's interest in meditation for about three days. The door opens a little bit. <laughs> so I think it's often, I mean that's the, the the first noble truth is idang dukkang there is dukkha if people don't see that there's dukkha then that they they uh there really isn't an entry point for the path in some ways so they uh they have to recognize yeah this is not satisfying or this isn't, isn't making me happy or or uh, this is um this is kind of pointless or painful and when those moments come then the dhamma starts to make sense but uh it's rather like the dialogue between Magandia and the Buddha. This businessman who uh, came to the Buddha and said, "I don't know why you talk about renunciation. Life is great. I, I enjoy myself. I have, you know, good food and a lovely place to live and beautiful things. What's wrong with it? You know, what, what, what? Where's the problem? Why? What? Why, what on earth do you renounce this for?" And in the Magandia Sutta, in the Majjhima Nikaya, then the Buddha points out that actually, uh, as a renunciant. Uh, And a meditator, he can experience far more pleasure than Magandhi can, even more than King Bimbisara. He said, you know, I can can sit for seven days and nights experiencing unrelenting pleasure. Not even the king can do that. (laughs) So so it's not that I look down upon your worldly happiness as being um, sort of evil or bad. It's just I'm not interested because I know a pleasure that's much greater. He said, so... I, you know, Magandhi, if you were a if you were a deva raja in the Nandana grove in the Tavatimsa heaven, with five hundred beautiful angel devatas, you know, female devatas to be your attendants, uh, would you be interested in your worldly happiness here in Savati? Well, no, no way. You know, up in the Nandana grove with five hundred nymphs to play with, yeah, you know, wouldn't be interested at all. The Buddha said, "Well, exactly, Magandhi. It's not that I I despise or 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 uh, criticize." worldly pleasure, I'm just not interested because the pleasure that I know is as far above the happiness of a Deva Raja in the Nandana Grove as, as, your, as that happiness is above your worldly happiness as a businessman, a, business a layperson in, in Savati. So that uh, that is a very powerful teaching for you know, he becomes a, the Buddha's disciple. But uh, many people are in that Magandhya situation, like why give anything up, this is great. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, yeah, bring it on. I was that way till I was 21. (laughs) And it just didn't work anymore. I couldn't get to that happy place. I couldn't drink enough or dance enough to get to that place where everything was good. I often have mentioned how I was uh, at a a kind of epiphany, we had that word the other day, a sort of religious experience at a friend's 21st birthday party. I, i drank a whole bottle of teacher's Highland cream, scotch, I was about an inch or so from the bottom and i drank drunk like a pint of scotch, and I wasn't happy. You know, I, I couldn't get to that place where everything is, oh, hey, everything is good. It wasn't there anymore. And I actually had the thought, this is a waste of good scotch whiskey. You know, I've drunk a pint of whiskey, and so what? I still feel insecure and lonely and miserable. and The medicine is not working anymore. So, my 21st birthday present to myself was to stop drinking, to go to Asia. <laughs> and uh, without really planning it, I ended up in what banana chart about four months later. That so was very fortunate, but I didn't drink again. So, but, yeah, we have to come to that point for ourselves, really. And often, if our friends are saying, you know, you should, <laughs> you should be like me, you know. Let, let me tell you. Then, often that drives people straight to the bar. You know, one time uh, a great Chinese master gave a Dhamma talk. We invited him to come from America, and he this, uh, set up this public talk for him in, in London. And uh, he gave a, you know very inspiring teachings, but he was emphasizing vegetarianism, and uh, he was kind of being quite uh, strong about it. And one of, uh, of uh, Ajahn Sumedho's um, uh, long-standing disciples said, I went straight from the Dhamma teaching to a hamburger joint. just <laughs> Because he was being told, you know, you shouldn't. Then something in him, he said, it was really childish, but my feet just carried me straight to the, to the Burger King, you know, to have a hamburger. So I didn't really like it. I didn't really want a hamburger, but I just was so annoyed by being told, you know, you should, that this kind of childish reaction happened. So that uh, is natural for people to, to if they're being scolded or told, you know, you should. That we can get those childish sort of, even if in their heart they know, I don't really want to do this, but <laughs> they don't want you to be right. And so it's those often those quiet, kind um, of uh, unspoken messages, just that are a, the way you are, that carries more weight than. the the kind of explanation. Let let me give you a list of why you're doing the wrong thing. (laughs) But uh, it produces that kind of irrational reaction. Maybe Ajahn Jiu, do you have any comments on that area?
3: (laughs) อ่าอาตมามีที่ HMS หลายปีน่าจะเกือบ 20 ปีแต่ไม่เคยชักจุงอะไรเลยแม่ไม่นะคือถ้าโยมแม่ไปไปเอ่อนั่งสมาธิดีมั้ยนะโยมแม่ก็ๆกันว่าตอน <coughs> <coughs> นะโดยเฉพาะคนที่ใกล้ชิดนะอ่าสำหรับผู้เด็กๆนะมันจะช่วยทําหรือหรืออย่างเช่นเวลาคุยกับวัยรุ่นเอ่อไม่มีค่าในสายตาใช่นะความ <laughs> มันทําให้เขารู้สึกว่าเอ๊ะธัมมะคือเขาอยากจะให้คนคนสวยงามเยอะแยะมากมายนะเพื่อที่จะไอ้กลายของของของของประเทศ 100 รูปไอ้ที่ต้องการมากที่สุดแล้ว <coughs> อ่าคือเค้าไปทําหน้า can can I ask one more question but maybe, con- uh, somebody
1: else okay. but continuing from from the <laughs> last one
0: well maybe somebody else has been waiting so.
1: thank you very much
0: yes. yes the lady beside the pillar
4: Thank you. Um, I wonder if you could talk a bit about mettā bhavana as a main meditation practice. It's my understanding that it can lead to liberation. Thank you. Uh,
0: yeah, me, uh, mettā bhavana, loving kindness meditation. Um, well, there are different ways of approaching it, and so uh, the um, often people are introduced uh, to it as a kind of visualization practice. So that you bring to mind uh, the the uh, beings that you want to spread spread loving kindness to. You start you start with yourself, and then uh, either the people who are around you, and then sort of spreading out through the physical areas sort of around your 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 home, your your area, your town, the the country, and so forth, spreading that feeling out geographically. Sometimes uh, uh, it's uh, encouraged to bring to mind categories of beings, like the ones that are dear to you, and then the ones that you are indifferent to, or the ones that uh, have aversion for you, you have aversion for them. Um, Those particular, so most often when uh, loving-kindness meditation is described, then uh, it focuses on those kind of lists, or those sort of ranges of of beings. And um, uh, for myself, I found that became a kind of mechanical process, like a bit of a laundry list, you know, like shirts, socks, you know, and, uh, jackets and so on. And, and, uh, that it's not to put that down, but uh, I, it, it's, it, be, it was more sort of verbal and the idea of loving kindness rather than the genuine quality of it. So that, uh, um, where, when I was with, uh, Lumpur Sumedha one time, uh, He was leading a meditation retreat, and he used a a method of bringing loving-kindness together with the mindfulness of breathing. And I found that was uh, much more helpful. Uh, You're using an idea or the the verbal thought um, to arouse that quality of loving-kindness, but uh, it's um, more focused. And also uh, more sort of uh, centered upon the the activity of the, the body breathing. So it's simply very simply on the in breath to think the words "May I be at peace," and on the out breath "May all beings be at peace." And so that uh, that uh, I found a, a more sort of tangible or, or kind of a, uh, effective way of developing loving kindness. Um, in, in, during this this retreat, I spoke about how loving kindness has so two aspects to it. There's a, a receptive aspect as well as an expressive aspect. And that the uh, the expressive aspect, when that talking about may all beings be happy or may I be happy, there's a, that's much more to do with the outgoing, the expressive quality of metta. And uh, to... Uh, to um, balance that or to make that more effective. For myself, I find it really needs that receptive quality as well. So along with that, may all beings be be at ease, may all beings be at peace, be happy, and so forth. Um, There is that quality of acceptance, what I would call a radical acceptance of opening the heart to the way things are. So uh, even I would say that the thought, may I be happy, is a kind of an outgoing thought, which might sound a bit strange, but... I still feel that as a kind of expression of outgoing attitude but the uh, uh the other side of metta is that uh, what we would call open-heartedness that like everything belongs so that uh that I would say is the receptive aspect of metta it, in that way it's almost like it's that becomes the basis of equanimity that in a way loving kindness when it ripens it ripens as upekha and so that that um Guiding the, the heart towards that sense of yeah everything belongs everything is exactly this way, so it's it's connected to upekā, also to the quality of, of insight. This is the way it is. yang ni yang. This is this is how it is. So that uh, openness of heart, uh, where you're saying this pain in the body or this loud noise or this. Uh, headache that I've had for a day and a half, it all belongs, or this difficult family member or this large debt that won't get paid off, it all belongs, that things that are uncomfortable or difficult, that they belong, you're not pretending that you like them, and as I was saying the other day, how uh, Lumpur Sumaita would always emphasize, you can love what you don't like, meta, uh, meta sometimes comes across as trying to like everything, like thinking pink, and uh, that just makes uh, the mind more annoyed. Like, <laughs> like you, uh, and Because if you're trying to be positive or trying to make yourself like the unlikable, it just becomes like a sort of endless Walt Disney movie. becomes a bit you know, irritating, or like the, the man going to the hamburger joint. You know? <laughs> like, uh, there was a, a friend of ours, a meditation teacher in the States, and she did a, a whole day-long meditation with the title, I Hate Meta." Because of that, that kind of effect that when people would find that I was doing great with the meditation retreat till we had the metta day, Ajahn, then I got really angry. Yeah. Because that sense of it being like a kind of sweet sentiment that you're kind of pasting over everything is the way it can come across. So I feel to get the, the real essence of metta, its real heart, is that quality of acceptance. Everything belongs. That there's a... a, a the, the the beautiful, the neutral, and the ugly, the painful, it, it all belongs, it's all part of nature. doesn't mean that you like everything, or that everything is wholesome or good. You know, violence is part of nature, but it's, it has painful results. But it's, it's part of the whole picture. So that quality of acceptance, yeah, it, it, it belongs. And then on that basis of acceptance, then the discriminating mind can, can choose. This is wholesome and beneficial, this is harmful and destructive. But that that choosing is not because of hating the destructive and the, the painful and, and grasping the, the beautiful or the beneficial, but it's rather like coming to a junction in the road. You know, if, you want, if, you, uh, if you're in Chiang Rai and you want to go to Bangkok and you're driving, you go south, you don't go north, because north will not take you to Bangkok. <laughs> it's like you don't hate the north or fear it, it's just that's not where you want to go. You need to go south. So that direction and choosing it's not based on reactivity or aversion or fear, but rather just this is what's going to lead to, to benefit. So uh, um, in that respect, uh, using those kind of reflections, like everything belongs, or uh, that say, being, being open to um, the pleasant, the painful, the neutral, that uh, I, I find really helps to cultivate that that the heart of metta. And then from that basis, then that well wishing, that benevolence can can arise from that. But just like I was using the example of the breath, it, it's the in breath that takes the oxygen in and that's the life source. So that it's that that receptive quality of metta that is really the the essence of, of loving kindness is that open heartedness of yes, everything belongs and then from that, that quality of, of well wishing can can arise. But as a simple exercise also that using it with the breath, uh, once, once you've got a feeling for what that quality of, of genuine caring and, and acceptance is, then uh, like once you've kind of lit the fire, then using that practice with the breath I found is a good way of, of sustaining that and to kind of keep that attitude awake.
1: Thank you. That's very helpful. Thank you.
0: This gentleman at the front here.
4: Sorry, can I just ask one, one, one quick question? Okay. It's, uh, uh, it's in connection can with you? Metta. So in the Metta Sutta, uh, the Buddha actually used the Metta Sutta to teach a group of monks who were in the forest, who were afraid of, who were disturbed by forest birds. And then in the Metta Sutta, the last line says, uh, One feet from all sense desires is not born again to this world. So what world is that? Is that the, the, the samsara or it's what
0: world is that? It's not born again into this world. Um, yeah. It, so uh, that those last four lines of the Metta Sutta, they uh, speak about, as I said, Metta really ripens in, in equanimity but also in insight. So that that is talking about the ripening or the, the, full, the fruition of loving kindness, which is uh, not being reborn. So, right,
4: but it's that the only sutta that was used to uh, that says that matter matter will lead to not, not being reborn. Is that the only reference to not being? Reborn?
0: Um, it might be. Um, uh, generally speaking, the 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 Brahma Viharas, the four divine abidings, they are spoken of as as liberations the The Buddha talks about as kinds of of liberation, but they are they're not equivalent to full enlightenment so they're they're kind of wholesome states they the, they're they are very they're wholesome they are noble states but they're conditioned they're they're not they're not um uh, states or, or they're not the the equivalent to full enlightenment itself so that um the uh, uh when the, the Buddha speaks of those, they, are, uh, they can be a basis for liberation. Like the, Having loving kindness, compassion, they can be a, a pathway to that, to, to full enlightenment.
4: But that leads to the Brahma world, right? It's, it, it leads, the Buddha says that leads to the Brahma world and not to full enlightenment. So how does loving kindness lead one to full enlightenment?
0: <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, in a way it's for, for you to practice with. <laughs> Because the more, it's, uh, the, uh, like I said, when uh, for an arahant, someone, who, someone whose heart is free from greed, hatred, and delusion, the emotions that arise are metta karuna mudita upekha. So they are the natural emotions that arise from the pure heart. So by adopting the practice of metta or the practice of karuna mudita upekha, then you are you're, you're developing emotions that an arahant would have. So it kind of it, it makes the the pathway to that liberated state. Like I was saying about the eight precepts, you're acting like an arahant does. So it helps the mind to awaken to those qualities and sees the result of them. So that metta, it can uh, it can lead it to liberation. Um, and uh, if there is it's developed as a, a wholesome bright state, but also if the mind lets go of self-view and conceit around that, the Sakayaditi and and but mana. there are
4: 10 fetters we have to, yeah. we, we have so to let the, go each one of them right? it's yeah. not just self view and conceit it's like the first one and the last one
0: right so that but in particular that uh the 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 experience of i'm experiencing metta i'm practicing metta my life is is uh, is filled with that so it, it will if there isn't that that letting go of of conceit and ignorance then it'll it's uh, the mind is still in a a um, is born into a realm, but then if that uh, say that quality of of uh, loving kindness is applied with with insight with wisdom, then it can also be a, a basis for full enlightenment. It's uh, but the um, it's exactly the kind of area where it's it's like within your meditation to say well how does this work. How, uh, what's, what's the principle here? How does this match my own experience you know, within this mind, this heart? How, how is this? If it's me practicing metta, how is that? Or if there's just the heart is filled with metta but there's nobody who's the owner of it, how is that? You know, so that there's an exploring uh, of how those things work together. Or taking that, that, uh, that word uh, by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision being freed from all sense desire is not born again into this world so that um it's like well how is that how does that work and uh to explore that to to investigate anyway this is it. gentleman in the front row hello
5: ajahn yesterday you were talking about um during your meditation you said linearly um, Get absorbed into um, realizing dukkha, nature, aneta, and then you are centralized, you know, center core to if it, you can, and then you want to. If you can speak into
0: you, the microphone, so to it. Yeah. So I was just
5: wondering, is that the nibbana stage, or what? When you realize all these three together, and you say you're not attached to it, and then the question is that um, a meditator can sometimes, nibbana stage is it something like rapture? You is it just you see it, and then it disappear. You not necessarily become an arahant. You can keep on going back, or something like that.
0: I'm not sure. <laughs> That's the question. Oh, the, um, the the reflections on Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta. They are they are tools to help investigate the the nature of experience. So that they are like a um, uh, like a screwdriver. Or a, you know, or a little, or a spanner, you know, a, uh, a a lever, so that you can you can open up your engine and and, uh, and uh, see how it works and, and fix it. So they are tools to, to support investigation. They're not things to believe in. So that you that there can be that applying of the reflection on anicca, on dukkha, and anatta, and they can be effective as tools, but they don't necessarily bring about full enlightenment. So Nibbāna, uh, as I was saying, that um expression was, or his description was to say, Nibbāna is the reality of non-grasping. Reality, the reality of non-grasping. So, when, uh, when the mind lets go, and uh, there, there's been holding on to a thought, or a feeling, or a question, when it lets go, then uh, to some degree that, what is present is uh, the quality of nibbana. So it's not a kind of, as I've said a few times, it's not a kind of explosion of lights or the kind of devas come along and say, "Well done, King, congratulations." <laughs> but it's rather, it's a, it's a, a completely ordinary peacefulness. It's a, a, there's a, a that's why the Buddha used the word nibbana as a kind of coolness. It's like the the word in pali is used like after you've cooked the rice you put it down on the shelf to nibana for a bit because it's too hot to eat just let it cool down so it's a very ordinary household word it's uh, so that the um, uh, the mind in that uh, uh, when it's uh, the quality of Nibbāna is present it's like the that's a it's a description of a feeling like coolness it's a, it's a description of a feeling. So it's, it's describing the feeling of when in that moment the heart is free of greed, hatred, and delusion. That might be just temporary, what they call the t- tadangana Nibbāna, a momentary Nibbāna. And that, that book of Ajahn Buddhadasas, Nibbāna for Everyone, he talks about all these things in detail, if I remember correctly. So a tadangana Nibbāna, it's just like a momentary Nibbāna, but it's still Nibbāna. There's, there's, there's coolness, there's peacefulness. Everything is okay. And then if there is still habits of attachment and identification, oh, it's Nibbana, great, I've made it, hooray, yeah, I better go and tell my friend, uh, then that's not Nibbana. <laughs> that's grasping, the mind grasps a thought or a feeling. Or so
5: once you meditate and you get that coolness, uh, when you come out of it, uh, you're still not an arahant, but when you go meditating again, you able to
0: get into that stage again. It depends on the on how how the the mind is worked with. Sometimes the, the, uh, that that um, that kind of experience can uh, can arise, and then uh, it's so appealing, so pleasant that you can spend the next ten years trying to get it. And the very like Ajahn Chah said, if you cha- if you look for nibbana, you won't find it. It's like you you have to kind of if you if you desire it, the, the very effort to try and get it is creating the obstacles. So you have to be kinda of che, as they say. You know. So
5: it's it's not like um you know, like if we experience rupture or something like that. Uh it's like if we learn how to ride a bicycle and once we get it, we will know how to ride a bicycle. So it's like if you experience in meditating you experience backer rupture or anything like mm-hmm. that. Uh and when you start again, uh not necessarily you know how to get it again do you? I mean, you have to start from the beginning again to get to that end.
0: Well, I'd say it's a, it's a bit like riding a bicycle, but also um, the, uh, once the mind knows that, that quality, it, it, it's familiar with it, but it, uh, de- it depends entirely on the attitude. If you're kind of desperate for me to get it, then that, that desperation that kind of, and that meanness will just clog up the, the picture. So that you know, Cha would always that 's why he never really talked about stream entry or arahanship or talked about jhana. He said as soon as you talk talk about attainments or, or realizations or levels, people get very confused and excited, and so he hardly ever talked about um attainment or um levels of concentration and such like because he said that you know the the gaining mind gets gets busy, and so he said it's just. Do the work, take care of the business, and then don't worry about what you call it. You know, when the, uh you know. So he would deliberately kind of incline away from that area, not because realization is not true or not real, but he saw that the thinking mind, the desire mind, gets gets so sort of um, caught up in that. Uh, you know, what level have I? What level have I reached? Or am I there yet? Or am I not there yet? Or what is this? <laughs> And uh, so he would just kind of make, uh, make a joke of it. Uh, one time, um, this Western monk wanted to know whether, how could you tell when you're a stream enter or not? You know, Ben Sodaban, yeah, Saap, Yang Rai. How do you know when you're a Sodha And Lumpur Cha just said to him, "Sotapanna is fish sauce. Yeah. And he was an American so he, who thought a lot. He was a kind of big thinker. Nibana Sodapana is fish sauce. Oh, is this some kind of esoteric teaching? Is this kind of, what's he saying? Is it just kind of the idea of Sodapana? Is this like some sort of flavor that has no value? Or, yeah, what does it mean? And then uh, he could never. And Lumpur made no explanation. He just sort of gave him the kind of the cold face and said, is eh, Sodapana is fish sauce." And then a few years later, when he went back to visit Thailand again, he found out there's actually a brand of fish sauce called Sodapana. <laughs> There's a Sotapanna brand of nampla. So Lumpur wasn't joking. He said, he said you know, Sotapanna is yeah. fish sauce. It wasn't an esoteric teaching. It was just like, it is, it is a fish sauce. So, so one
5: would know, I mean, our own cell. like for example, we get to that stage and, I mean, we are not going to grasp on it, but we will know whether we are in the stream entry or not. Uh, or we have to need a teacher to tell us <laughs> or something like that. I don't know.
0: Well uh, again, again Cha would say uh, when Ajun Suedida would try to get him to tell him, yeah you know, am I a stream entry at Lumpur and he said, if you're doubting it means you're not there yet <laughs> <laughs> okay. but also uh that um it it i would uh you know, hesitate to to be kind of putting labels on it because it's it's far more uh, helpful to, to recognize. Well, do I do I know what the practice is? Do I know how to practice or not? I, you know that. Uh, do I do I relate to the body in this in a in a fixed way or the personality or not? What's going on? So that I, I, like I was saying to one of the interview groups, um, uh, you know, Lumpur would never speak about stream entry or once returning, non-returning arahantship, and wouldn't talk about jhana, and Lumpur made the same. It's, he never talks about it. Well, I was on a 10-day retreat once with him in California, and, and every single Dhamma talk was about self-view, uh, doubt, and attachment to conventions. All of them, like for 10 days. That's all he talked about, and he never mentioned stream entry. But you know, those are the, the first three fetters, the, the obstructions to stream entry. So he never mentioned stream entry, but the whole retreat was about how to recognize self-view, let go of it. How to how to uh, to understand doubt? You know how to, how to get beyond it. How to uh, to recognize attachment to conventions? How to let them go? And so I, I was sitting there thinking, when's when's he going to mention stream entry? And he never did. <laughs> so it's like here's the recipe. Here's how you cook it. Yeah. Here's how you put it all together. Okay. Doesn't matter what you call it. Just here are the ingredients. Here's the recipe. Here's how you cook it. Off you go. Thank th- you. <laughs> Thank you. Ajahn. So one last one. Do you have any comments on that, Ajahn? Different kind of fish sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead.
4: Um, you you mentioned um, Sankara Niroda, so uh, sakaya Niroda. Sakaya Niroda. Uh, could you explain that again, and how can we use it on a daily basis?
0: Uh, well, it's. I think it's the only place in the Pali Canon where that word appears, in that one Sutta, with the Buddha's giving the advice to Mahanama. So it's a kind of unique word. Um, so sa means true or real. Kaya means the body, and so uh, uh, sakaya diti the view of the real body, or the view of the real person, that's the, the first um, obstacle to enlightenment. So Sakaya-Nirodha is that the ending of that, that view, that perception of, I am the body, I am the personality, this is, this is the real me. So the, the, I would say the, uh, the chief way of working with that is wise reflection. Yoni soul manasikara, that sense of noticing through the course of the day when you're, uh, you relate to your personality, your personal story as being true, being real, being uh, who and what you are. These different ways that the mind creates this person. Uh, the, uh, I, I spoke about these three kinds of, of self, like the owning self, like the feeling that this is, this is mine. I, this is my body or this is my glasses or this is my sitting spot this uh, that sense of the 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 atta which is the owner there which is connected with tanha or craving so the i which is the owner then the second one is the 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 being i like i i am this i am a woman i am malaysian i am from singapore i am uh 54 years old or whatever the uh the that being self or i am happy i am unhappy that, the self that's being and then the um, the narrative self you know the what our job is or our family story or where we were where our home is the kind of curriculum vitae that's the, the narrative self there's just a convenient way of describing those different areas but to to make a project to during the, the course of a day to notice how often those selves appear. The feeling of identification with the body, whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, um, what the faculties are like, are they, uh, are they in good shape or are they falling apart? Yeah. How does the mind relate to that? So that to look at all those ways that the, the mind creates the real person. I am this, I am the owner of this life i am. this is who i am this is my story this is this is my uh, these are my qualifications my hopes my fears my regrets my achievements to explore those those judgments and say is that so is that a, is that a sure thing is that the whole story really or uh, one of the most uh, helpful and simple reflections that lumpochar would encourage was just to say so yeah I, I am 62 years old. So? I, I'm a Buddhist monk. So? I, I'm, I was born in England. So? <laughs> I'm leading this 10 day retreat. So? And that that simple reflection, uh, in, in Thai language, you just you know, you say, Jingle, oh, oh, is, you know, is that a fact? Uh, it's, it opens the heart to, oh, well, so what? <laughs> it's not a big thing it's not a, it's not a nothing special and there's the picture is bigger than that so if you at the beginning of a day set that intention like first thing in the morning you get up meditate okay during today there's the project to challenge all of that self creation to notice to put a little flag up every time this person gets born <laughs> and to to just see, oh, look, oh, there it goes again, there it is again, there it is again. And to challenge it, to not just notice it, but to challenge it. So, yeah, th- this is my company, so. My company is doing well, so. My company is falling apart, so. <laughs> People really like me, so. People hate me, so. And just, and then, uh, again, as I've been saying a lot during this, this week, then notice the effect of that when that challenge is made you bring that reflection to mind so my business is falling apart so see what happens doesn't mean that you abandon responsibility but as a as a shift in the view
2: yeah you're undoing it right, a way, so it's deconstructing undoing your it. personality
0: deconstructing it, yes. so yeah. this is a kind of successful or a, a, a skillful uh, psychological breakdown or dis- disassembling or deconstructing so rather like a, a breakdown where it all falls apart in broken pieces, it's a deconstructing that you can put it back together again when you need to. So when you go into the business meeting, and you're the CEO again, then you're able to perform, you can do your thing, or you're the performing an operation, you, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm a surgeon, I've got five operations to do today. So that gives you a perspective on what you're going to do. But when you go into the operating theatre, the nurses and the technicians need to know. Oh, yeah, she's she's good to go. <laughs> she knows what she's doing with the operation. So it's not like you become stupid or incapable. But there's the mind is getting a perspective on its activities and its roles, and seeing those in in their in their true light. Well, that's enough for today, and so um, we'll finish there and. Uh, uh, Quinta and her team are ready to reconfigure the hall for this evening. So um, uh, I would encourage everyone to, when we finish this session, to get up and move out of the way so that then the the team can uh, carry out their uh, activities to reshape the space for our evening gathering.